The title of this poem is called Dahomey, and um, there is a, a saying that goes with it which really introduces the poem, and it is, In spite of the fire's heat, the tongues can fetch it. The poem Dahomey. It was in a bomy that I felt the full blood of my father's wars, and where I found my mother, Sebolisa, standing with outstretched palms, hip-high, one breast eaten away by worms of sorrow, magic stones resting upon her fingers, dry as a cough. In the dooryard of the brass workers, Four women joined together dying cloth, mock issues iron quiver, standing erect and flamingly familiar in their dooryard, mute as a porcupine in a forest of lead. In the courtyard of the cloth workers, other brothers and nephews are stitching bright tapestries into tales of blood. But thunder is a woman with braided hair, spelling the fars of Shangol asleep between sacred pythons that cannot read nor eat the ritual offerings of the Assam. My throat in the panther's lair is unresisting. Bearing true drums on my head, I speak whatever language is needed to sharpen the knives of my tongue. The snake is aware, although sleeping, under my blood, since I am a woman, whether or not you are against me, I will braid my hair, even in the seasons of rain. No. 
So just generally, um, I have an image of Leonardo's drawings of um, water, and how um, and how he was like discovering turbulence, where if you put an obstruction in a water flow, it will it will kind of go in different directions and then continue in its same path. Um, and that was just um, made me want to interject that like this could be seen as like not trains of thought or like threads of thought, but just like shifting in currents if we were kind of thinking waterly. I hadn't seen the Leonardo sketches and I'm looking at them now and they're amazing. It's really interesting. These kinds of like doorways um, or mouths that the water is channeled through and then um yeah these kind of almost like monolithic i don't know doorways yeah they make me think of mouths and like um how when i was doing the westbourne river walk the journey down i know that the at the end of it there would have been a kind of mouth that that entered the, the the westbourne flooded from underneath you know the city into the river thames um and i can't really and this makes me think about what that mouth looked like maybe it's something like this with this kind of like water that's like a tongue <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
After all, what expectant human mother has not at some point imagined her fetus as tadpole, all fish eyes and fins, preamphibious, somersaulting its way through her amniotic seas? Her pasts literally well up inside her, time a crumpled up tissue, now responding to the swell. Something is remembered, a tail reabsorbed, an aorta hooked. Perhaps the water, watery body, bodies we gather in our carrier bags are also memories of a could-have-been, past traces of our own amphibious futures not yet lived. As modern humans, we share considerable bodily connectivity with whales and other cetaceans. We both have lungs that breathe air and giant brains wrinkled with neocortex. We both function best when our bodies are at about 98 degrees Fahrenheit. We both survived in infancy on a diet of our mother's milk. Peel back the blubber of a cetacean's fin and you will see something not unlike your own human hand. Five fingers, a wrist, an elbow, a shoulder. We are both social animals. We both gestate our babies within watery wombs and then spend inordinate amounts of time training our young for life without us. In terms of what we consider smarts, the Brazilian river dolphin leads the cetacean pod as our closest runner-up, with other primates as only a somewhat distant second. We ourselves are seas, sands, corals, seaweeds, beaches, tides, swimmers, children, waves, seas, others. Thank you.
and it goes down at the back and I see the sun all day if it's there and, uh, and I can just, I'm fairly far back from the sea but I can see the sea and the sea, the great thing about the sea is it changes every colour you could imagine. I've seen the sea pink and brown and aquamarine and black. <laughs> I sit and watch this and I was very unaware of that. I mean, I've been a London person for, you know, 30 years and somehow you have to sit there and watch this to really realize it's happening.
Also, I don't know if I sent you a photo. I'll have a look. But it was a water grate um, on in uh, Hyde Park. Or Regent's Park? Yeah, Hyde Park. No, Regent's Park. I think Hyde Park. <laughs> I can't remember which. Anyway, this water grate that had this kind of ring of wildflowers around it. And this idea that, like, well, the, the, the um, proof that this kind of watery hole, watery spot, was feeding this kind of ring of flowers. And Tom, who I was with, was saying that in Scotland, up a mountain, this kind of very deserted landscape, he got to a point where there was a, the, it was a kind of skeleton of a, um, of a of an animal, dead animal, had kind of seeped into the ground and fed this kind of another kind of ring of wildflowers.
Okay, so once again, it was relating to an ancestral past and the objects that are laid out before her. There's a broken record, and we found all those objects there. She's very much interested in found um, art created from found objects. I'm interested in art created from found objects. And so part of, of what you saw was brought there and other things were found. Um, the record was the remains of... Stevie Wonder's album, Songs to the Keys of Life, which I thought was really funny that that would be there. We, was, you know, we would just happen to find it. There was um, a fish head that we found, a little palm branch, and we fused the two together and we had you know, a whole fish. And the fish was some garbage that was there that we were just, at that particular point in time, brave enough to deal with and, and make something out of it. Also, there were like bits of glass you know, bits of, you know, the, a deteriorating urban environment that when reassembled with other objects seemed to work, mm -hmm. you know, they had a beauty of their own you know, when joined together in this circle, this circle of continuity, you know, this circle of, of uh, evolution, this circle of unchanging evolution, you know, because she's of another time, she's of another space, but yet she's brought back to this whole spiritual situation that she possibly experienced before. of coming together and meeting, we went through a process of symbolically saying hello to each other, um, dispelling any tension that might have been between us in the past that would have kept us from working together, and it was all done through this ritual that we had formulated, at least some of us had formulated. That you made up yourself, or right. that you got from another source? No, we made it up. You know, everything mm -hmm. was intuitive. We made it up as we went along. I think, you know, actually it wasn't just made up, it was like it came from somewhere else and it just passed through us. You know, because in, in mm -hmm. checking some of the things that we did later, I found that they were really correct, you know. Mm -hmm.
the textures, you know, I'm really concerned with textures. You know, I really like that sense of, you know, that kind of scratchy, rough feeling of this, this house, you know, the way you can see in it and see beyond it, you know. And then you have a very feminine woman, you know, in the mm -hmm. midst of all of this, you know, who's going about whatever it is that she's about, you know, in the midst of this so-called blighted environment, you know. And the textures working together yeah. to me really, I mean, they, they really excite me. The idea of working with those kind of different textures really fascinates me. Again, the texture of the, the house, the inside of the burnt out house. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Like it's, it's black and it's gray and it's crumbling wood uh, and it's rust, mm -hmm. you know, and I think black and white film really lends itself to picking oh, it's up. It's beautiful. Right, I mean, it's interesting that it is so beautiful, and and but in reality also ugly. The story of the freeway. Mm -hmm. It's about people being displaced, but film can also make it beautiful.
And this is called Diving into the Wreck. First, having read the book of myths and loaded the camera and checked the edge of the knife blade, I put on the body armor of black rubber, the absurd flippers, the grave and awkward mask. I'm having to do this not like Cousteau with his assiduous team aboard the sun-flooded schooner, but here alone. There is a ladder. The ladder is always there, hanging innocently close to the side of the schooner. We know what it is for, we who have used it. Otherwise, it is a piece of maritime floss, some sundry equipment. I go down, rung after rung, and still the oxygen immerses me, the blue light, the clear atoms of our human air. I go down. My flippers cripple me. I crawl like an insect down the ladder, and there is no one to tell me where the ocean will begin. First the air is blue, and then it is bluer, and then green, and then black. I am blacking out, and yet my mask is powerful. It pumps my blood with power. The sea is another story. The sea is not a question of power. I have to learn alone to turn my body without force in the deep element. And now it is easy to forget what I came for among so many who have always lived here, swaying their crenellated fans between the reefs. And besides, you breathe differently down here. I came to explore the wreck. The words are purposes. The words are maps. 
I came to see the damage that was done and the treasures that prevail. I stroke the beam of my lamp slowly along the flank of something more permanent than fish or weed, the thing I came for, the wreck and not the story of the wreck, the thing itself and not the myth, the drowned face always staring towards the sun, the evidence of damage worn by salt and sway into this threadbare beauty, the ribs of the disaster curving their assertion among the tentative haunters. This is the place, and I am here, the mermaid whose dark hair streams black, the merman in his armored body. We circle silently about the wreck. We dive into the hold. I am she, I am he, whose drowned face sleeps with open eyes, whose breasts still bear the stress, whose silver, copper, vermeil cargo lies obscurely inside barrels half-wedged and left to rot. We are the half-destroyed instruments that once held to a course the water-eaten log, the fouled compass. We are, I am, you are, by cowardice or courage, the one who find our way back to the scene, carrying a knife, a camera, a book of myths, which our names do not appear. Yeah, hey. To my biggest influences, may you forever stay in my dreams. You'll forever live through me. Thank you for my existence, for instance, existing, listening to me, watching me grow. Just know, must know, I still got your rules, still got your rules. Something and sometimes you die. Sit down, do nothing, and sometimes you dead. All of this mumbling, nothing I said. See my partner, true self. First time at his wake, too late. Many statements to take. Let me reiterate for your ignorance. I got you till we finish this. Even though the seasons change, my love for you still remains the same. Even if we're the Still be screaming your name. I still got you. Still got you. Got you.
of water in Scotland and I should read read it again it's a really brilliant book and I think it was kind of the first one that I read of hers that got me completely hooked and hook line sink um and I read it all in one sitting in the botanical gardens at Cambridge and I would like to reread it but yeah so it just led me to think about that and the kind of the threat of privatisation even in something which is so ancient and all-consuming and all you know something that that we are all a part of and we're all made of and there's not very many things that bind us all together in the same way as water um yet how politically charged it is 